Why does God save people? Well, Pastor Xavier Reese gives us the answer in today's Simple Truth. Whenever God frees you from something, He always frees you for something. God has not given to you and myself mere fire insurance to keep us out of hell. He has not simply saved you so that you can do your own thing now. He has saved you from being a slave of sin to be a servant of Christ. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When the Pilgrims arrived at Plymouth Rock, they came to America to be free from the tyranny of King George of England for the opportunity of religious freedom and a fresh start at life. Our High Priest Jesus does this for us as He came to free us from sin for our salvation for all eternity. Today, Pastor Xavier leads us on a journey to better understand our High Priest Jesus. So open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, as we set sail on our pilgrimage to discover today's simple truth. John 17, verse 1 through 5. Jesus prays for three things. He prays for Himself, He prays for His disciples, and then He prays for those who would believe through the preaching of his disciples. We want to focus on the prayer of Jesus for himself, which is made up of three parts. You have the proclamation in verse 1 and 2, the explanation in verse 3 and 4, and the expectation in verse 5. Notice first that the proclamation is by Jesus as high priest. Jesus was about to enter the Holy of Holies in heaven to atone for the sins of the world, even as a high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year, and that not without blood after many sacrifices and washings, Leviticus chapter 16 tells us. Now notice Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament priest, but also the sacrifice. Jesus was the very personification of the law, He fulfilled it, kept it without one flaw. He was high priest, and he was also the sacrifice. And here he is. He's giving a discourse to them, and as he finishes the word, he just goes right into the high priestly prayer to the Father. He asked the Father to glorify his Son. This meant that he would honor him by confirming and affirming all that Jesus had declared to the world about his Messiahship and the redemption of man in his sacrifice on the cross. Notice, secondly, in verse 2, that the proclamation for God's glory is in view of imparting eternal life after his death and resurrection. He says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should or shall give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Notice first that God the Father has given Jesus authority over all flesh, and the reference to authority is to power, to do what he was sent to do. Remember often in the scriptures say, by whose name do you do this and what authority? God the Father had given Jesus authority to impart eternal life. Not only just the right to do it, but the power to do it. 
The one to whom he would impart to are as many as the Father had given him. Now, the authority is twofold. To free man from sin and to free man for salvation. Whenever God frees you from something, he always frees you for something. God has not given to you and myself mere fire insurance to keep us out of hell. He has not simply saved you so that you can do your own thing now. He has not saved you so that you can forget about the loss and you can just go on your merry way. He has saved you from being a slave of sin to be a servant of saints. He has saved you from bondage to sin to now be a slave of Christ. He has saved you from working at dying to yielding to live. He has devastated your life to make you such a different person that in freeing you from something, he has freed you for something else. Always that's the case. And so this is the proclamation of our high priest's prayer. He moves on to the explanation in verse 3 and 4. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Notice first in the explanation in verse 3 that Jesus defines what he meant by eternal life for the sake of his disciples who were listening. Eternal life is usually thought of and described as time that never ends by man, though he does not understand it completely. We just know that eternity is forever and ever, but in our mind we can't understand forever and ever because everything around us is temporal. Eternal life is also described as a quality of life, God's character, God's likeness, God's virtues manifested through us. And that's a biblical definition of it. And that's really the best way to look at and understand eternal life, by quality of life, not quantity, but quality first. But it's interesting here, since he's talked about eternal life there in the proclamation, now he explains it in verse 3, that eternal life is declared by Jesus to be knowing God the Father, the only true God. That's a weird definition, huh? Eternal life is knowing God the Father, the true God. Now, the Father is God and truly God, the first person of the Godhead, but not the only person of the Godhead who is God. So when he says the only true God, it doesn't exclude the other two members of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is also God, the third person of the Godhead. He's called the eternal spirit, the spirit of grace. But notice also that eternal life is declared by Jesus to be knowing him, Jesus Christ, whom the Father had sent. He did not come on his own. He was sent from the Father. And so 
Here again, he describes eternal life, not only knowing the Father, the only true God, but knowing Jesus Christ. Now, notice what Jesus has done here. He's done thing, the very same thing he's done for the last three, four chapters. He's interlaced himself with the Father. You see, eternal life is bound up both in the Father and the Son. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14, 9 is one of them and other ones in John. John, again, in his first epistle says that whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father, 1 John 2, 23. So the Son is the only one who reveals the Father and brings man to the Father. He told us that in John 1, 18. He's the only one who's descended and revealed the Father. And then in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So the key is the Son. The Son is the door to the Father. If you declare to have the Father, but you deny the Son, you're a liar and you're deceiving yourself. If you declare to have the Father or have the Son, but you don't acknowledge who He is, then you neither have the Son nor the Father. The key is the Son who was sent by the Father. You cannot have the Son without the Father, and you cannot have the Father apart from the Son. The Scriptures are very, very clear. Notice, secondly, in verse 4, in the explanation, Jesus defines what he meant by glorifying the Father. He declared that he had glorified the Father on the earth. Jesus had come, born of a virgin, when the fullness of time had come, made of a woman under the law, sent by the Father, Matthew 1.20 and Galatians 4.4. 4. He had glorified the Father because he came in such a way that it didn't violate his holiness, his deity. Jesus had remained silent for 30 years until the forerunner John the Baptist announced him as the voice crying in the wilderness in John 1, 19 through 34. Who are you? Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elisha? No. Are you that prophet? No. Who are you? I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Jesus had constantly told the Jews that he was sent by the Father. Jesus declared, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me, John 8, 42, one of many, many passages in John. But they didn't want to accept it or believe it. Jesus had been declared to be well-pleasing to the father at his baptism in Luke 3.22, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear you him. The religious people did not want to. Often we get counseling, people who come in who have had counseling at a seminary, and um, they always counsel them based on psychology and, and, and everything else, and they don't get one bit of the scriptures. Well, one young lady came in and went back to them and says, you know, you didn't give me any of the word of God. And they said, oh, well, you know, all truth is God's truth. And, and besides, the Bible doesn't work that way today. How interesting. But that's where they're at now, as many churches, as many Christians. 
He declared that he had finished the work with the Father and that he had given them to do. This is how he defines having glorified the Father. The word finish means to bring to an end of completion. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. The word there is the same. The scriptures finish, completed for the earthly ministry. Jesus finished everything to the detail. He left nothing out. He said he came to fulfill the law. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will of God. Notice secondly here that the work of the Father comprises of two things. Words and works. Words is the revelation of God for light and guidance. Some of these says that he was the bread of life, John 6, 35. That he was the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. That he was the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. That he was the vine, John 15, 1. Just a few of the things he revealed that they didn't know. Necessary for guidance and illumination regarding salvation. The works are the miracles and events that needed to be fulfilled as Scripture had declared. He turned the water into wine at Canaan in John 4. He sought the Samaritan woman out and imparted salvation to her and revealed that he was the Messiah she was waiting for. John 4. He healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. John 5. He fed the 5,000 and walked on the sea, John 6. And he raised Lazarus from the dead, John 11. These are but few of the works that he did. At one point, Jesus said, for which of these works do you stone me? And they said, for these works we don't stone you, but we stone you because you continually make yourself out to be equal with God, being a man. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying and declaring, and they did not like it. As many people today do not like it. You tell people that the word of God is sufficient for all their life, that they don't need to go to 12-step programs, psychology, and all this junk, and they'll get mad at you as Christians. Nothing changes, huh? This is the explanation of our high priest's prayer. He explains it. Then he finishes off by the expectation in verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Notice first, Jesus expected to be glorified with the Father. The time is now, the hour. The hour had come for the Son of Man to be betrayed and to die for the sins of the world. First John 2, 2 says that he was made uh, the propitiation for our sins and not for ours alone, but for the whole world. The one to whom Jesus was praying to and depending on, as we have already stated, was the Father. Jesus never said, our Father, to his disciples. He always said, my Father, your Father. In other words, he continually and constantly 
remain uniquely different and distinct from them. I am a son of God, but a son of God is far different and distinct from the son of God. Again, there are Christian teachers and preachers who tell you that you are little gods. No, the scriptures never teach that. That, again, is Mormon doctrine. I became a son of God by the new birth at a point in time. The son of God is God and has been forevermore. He has always been, I have just begun. He will always be, I will soon be gone. There's a difference. Jesus could trust the Father completely. He had intimate knowledge of the Father. He and the Father were one. Notice the petition was to share the same glory with the Father. It's quite a petition. If Jesus was not God, then the petition is blasphemous, for God will not share his glory with any man. The scriptures are very clear about that. If Jesus was God, then he was asking what really belonged to him in the first place, right? And there's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. If someone comes over your house and leaves a car with you for a week or a month, he says, listen, I'm going to go on vacation, but I don't want to leave it in my neighborhood. It's pretty rough. You know, can I leave it here? Sure. And they come back after a week or two and say, hey, you know, I've come from my car. He says, you can't have your car. It's not yours. It's been here for a week. Well, no, it's yours. You're not asking anything that's outrageous. It's yours. Well, Jesus wasn't asking for anything that was out of the norm. It was his. Notice, secondly, that Jesus expected to share the same glory he experienced before the incarnation. Jesus was declaring equality, first of all, with the Father. I had with you equality. Very important. He was claiming to be eternal as Micah declares he was in Micah 5.2, from everlasting to everlasting. He was claiming fellowship with God. That's quite a charge, quite a statement. Fellowship with a holy God. One who has no part with evil. He said to the Jews before Abraham was, I am, in 8, John 8.58. 8, they blew their mind. You're only not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? He says, before Abraham was, I am. Ego Amy. <laughs> that took him right back to Exodus. They didn't have the Gospel of John when he said that. <laughs> he was accused of making himself equal with God and sought to be stoned by the Jews in John 10, 33. For these works we don't stone you, but because you continue to make yourself out to be God, being a man. Equality with God. He declared to be the resurrection of the life and that whoever believed in him would never die. John 11, 25, and 26. Equality. He says, I can raise the dead. But Jesus was not only declaring equality with the Father I had with you, but Jesus was declaring preexistence by the phrase before the world was. The opening verse of John's gospel reveals this fact in the prologue. Remember what we said about the prologue and the rest of the gospel. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. It's right in the very first verse. The light that lights every man that enters the world comes from Jesus, John 1, 9. The world was made by him, John 1, 10 says. So before man, he was there. The word became flesh at a point in time for the sake of man's redemption. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in other words, the emptying, the emptying of Jesus was not of his deity, but it was of his glory. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 tells us that. Being in the form of God, he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he became a servant, took on the form of a servant, and he humbled himself and didn't think it robbery to make himself equal with God. And for that reason, a name has been given to him above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, being in the form of God is an antecedental condition. It means he was God before he came, he was God when he was here, and he was God when he left. What else can you be when you're God? You know what I mean? If you're a man and you put on a baseball uniform, you're still a man. You put on a dress, you're still a man. <laughs> you put on a bathing suit, you're still a man. The dress does not change who you are. This picture is given to us vividly and beautifully in chapter 13, remember? As they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus stood up, he took his garment off, a beautiful picture before he came, he stood from the throne, divested himself of his glory, he took on a towel, a bowl, washed feet, his ministry on earth, and when he was done, he took his cloak, he put it on, his glory, he sat down again. He says, now, I've given you an example. Well, there's a beautiful picture. He always remained God. But as a man, he depended on the Father to give us an example and to show us that it is possible. What an example for us. This is the expectation of our high priestly prayer. He expected to be back with the Father shortly. As we have focused on the prayer of Jesus for himself, it has revealed to us that it's made of, of these three areas. The first being the proclamation of our high priest. It was for others. What an example to you and myself. Again, there is place for personal prayer, but it shouldn't be all of prayer. The explanation of our high priest was that it was eternal life in the finished work. That gift that he gives to every person who believes, and it's based on what he did. And then the expectation of our high priest was to return to his original glory with the Father. We should recognize where Jesus is at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and I, our high priest, Jesus. Pastor Xavier Reese 
Closing with the simple truth that our High Priest Jesus came for others to give eternal life all to God's glory. Amen and Amen. Now you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again anytime by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is Our High Priest Jesus. It includes everything you heard last time as well. And having your own copy makes it convenient to share this message with others you know. So when you contact us, mention today's date or the title once again, Our High Priest Jesus, and we'll get that right out to you. You can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please let us know the call letters of the station you hear us on. That enables us to track where our radio outreach has been a ministry to our listening friends. And thank you for your help. One against 600 sure sounds like a disadvantage in any event. Well, next time, Pastor Xavier shows how not even 600 was enough to have the upper hand on Jesus. That's on the next Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com Music